the Doxed, the podcast. Um, I have kind of a funny story. Oh, please. Please do tell. <laughs> so I got ready to go to the gym earlier this morning and I had on like workout leggings, like the capri pant style, you know, mm-hmm. they're like just below the knee and it was pretty cold. So I got in my car and I turned on the heat and I always point the heat like towards my feet. And I felt like a little tickle or something on my leg and like Ominous. went to scratch it and was like, oh, is there like a fly in the car or something? Like I felt something and then like, didn't think much about it. And then I stopped for gas, got out and was standing at the pump and I felt like another little tickle on my leg. I'm like, oh my God, what is that? And I looked down and there was like a gust of breeze and I felt it again. And I realized it's just my leg hair blowing in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> a more ominous story than that oh the leg hair that's a relief though I mean <laughs> I was gonna my leg hair is so long <laughs> that the heat the heater was blowing it you mistook and it then the story. breeze was also blowing it to the point where it was tickling me and I was concerned well that sounds majestic honestly <laughs> uh it's at the point where I just need to be released into the wild yeah that's how bad it is that's what they talk about rewilding right I thought I'd share that with you and all our listeners that's perfect perfect way to start (laughs) how have you been how have I been um I'm good I feel like a huge weight is lifted off my shoulders because I've decided to stop with my dissertation and focus on this and I feel great about it actually (laughs) So we'll find out if that's like a mania of some kind in six months. But I'm I mean, you sound different. It. You sound like a weight has been lifted off of you ever since you made that decision. Yeah, the whole alley thing was kind of like a red herring for me. I feel like like I was, you would think looking from the outside in, like that was the cause of my strife. And in a lot of ways, it was very demanding and taxing. But I think this whole thing about my dissertation that was going on in the background was really just keeping me from, I think I was clinging to it as, because I have a sense of identity around that, finishing that. And I think I was just holding on to it too mm-hmm. tight. So it's time to stop doing that. So I feel really good. It's time and to let it go. Exactly. It's a new, a new era. And I really, I really feel that. So I think good, good today. And I'm excited about logical fallacies episode i did a little mini series on some of these on my tiktok page a while back mm-hmm. um i think the timing of it wasn't great because <laughs> it was in the middle of the alley yeah. drama so people weren't really here for educational content at the time yeah. so i'm happy to revisit this do you want to start or do you want me to start i took some notes <laughs> we had like a little bit of a chat before we started where i was going to Going to approach this from the angle of high conflict personalities among like toxic social media influencers and the call out realm. And that's where I see where I've seen the most recent examples of people leaning on logical fallacies to prove their point. I've seen toxic influencers in the call out space use these things to, I guess, gain control of their audience and try to make it seem like. They have these really strong arguments, but really they don't. And I know logical fallacies are something that a lot of people engage in, even when they don't mean to. It's just kind of a, 
a natural thing to do sometimes when you feel backed into a corner, but I didn't realize how prevalent it was among call out content creators specifically on TikTok and how flimsy their arguments tend to be. To take it down a notch from the influencer space, people that tend to follow call out creators, people that tend to People in like um, parasocial relationships that tend to be really defensive of the call-out creators or comfort creators that they they follow, they're kind of easily swayed into the logical fallacy thing and they will lead into these arguments too. It's just, it's a really interesting phenomenon. I didn't realize how prevalent this was. Yeah, well, I am excited to talk about this topic too because I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've paid enough attention to call-out accounts to notice if it's a pattern among them, but it was certainly a very common theme throughout this uh, alley situation of logical fallacy after logical fallacy that I spent. Yeah, because you really went toe to toe with her. Yeah, the whole early part of this was really me exactly um, calling out all the fallacies. And I think people really saw me as coldly emotionless for that in some parts, or I just think people don't really understand what logical fallacies are. And they just think that I'm being argumentative. Maybe so, but I, I love logic. I'm obsessed with logic. I always have been, which might be weird to say, but I went to a school that offered a class in formal logic and I took it in like second grade and I loved that class. I think everyone should have logic. Second grade? Yeah, I think second grade. I took a formal logic class. Weirdly, it was like a private Christian school. My mom taught at it so that I could go there for free. And it was, it was a pastor who I don't think taught any other class in the school, but uh, yeah, this, this guy who was like an elder and a pastor in the church taught the class. And it was weird because it was actually, this is a whole tangent, but it was a, it was a biblically based logic course, if you can imagine. So sounds like an oxymoron. So yeah. So the whole thing was solid logic, but then all the, and if you know logic, you know that you can have a perfectly sound logical thing without and then if the premises are not true like if the basic terms that you're setting in order to do the logic are not true then the whole thing isn't true so it was like totally sound logic that we learned but then all the premises were like that the it was just like assuming that the bible was true (laughs) so but anyway that was uh I want to say that was second grade and in some ways that was really lucky for me and I think my brain latched onto it. And I think logic is actually kind of like a math. And I don't I don't know if people understand, unless you're like a programmer, you probably understand what that means. But it basically has rules that have to be met in order for something to be logically sound. And mm-hmm. then when you learn those rules, you get better at thinking critically and solving problems and making sound decisions based on like a systematic reasoning. That can be helpful for a lot of reasons. And then logical fallacies are basically situations where the rules of logic get broken. And there's a ton of them. And Wikipedia has this huge list. But when you study them, that gives you more discernment. So if you learn to recognize fallacies in the arguments you're presented with, you're much less likely to be tricked. So I basically went through the Wikipedia page of them and wrote down a bunch (laughs) for my notes that clearly describe a few different things that were happening 
in our situation with Ali. And it was disturbingly easy to apply so, so many logical fallacies to so many parts of what happened. Wow. So, but I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm obsessed with logic, which is, it's like dorky of me. But I think a lot of my pages, honestly, looking back at some of my content that I had produced over the year that I did the Aquarian Music Witch page, I can see why some people saw me as condescending because <laughs> I got, I got frustrated because I think I just, I don't know. I expect people to operate with this strict level of reason because that's how I try to approach everything that I think. And I'm so meticulous in laying all the foundations for it that I'm, I'm just always like frustrated with people that don't do the same thing, but that in some ways really doesn't leave enough room for emotion either, which I think is really powerful and sometimes I struggle to balance. So I think it's just, uh, I don't know, something I observe about myself in that content. I don't have that kind of extensive background in logic. I feel like I lean towards logic, but I've been told, I've been told the repeated messaging my whole life that that is, that logic is like condescending and rude people tend to turn their nose up to logic especially when you're a logical woman it's gotten me into a lot of trouble not appealing not necessarily appealing to people's emotions but like not giving in to when people do that to huh. me i think people expect women to be emotional to be swayed by emotion to lead with emotion so when you go against the grain in that way it it comes off as negative or rude or unbecoming so I think throughout my life I've sort of shied away from that part of my masking and I know specifically in relationships with men I feel like all of my ex-boyfriends like all hatched from the same egg they've all kind of prided (laughs) themselves on being very logical all these like Capricorn dudes that I've dated and one word out (laughs) they all are like well I'm, I'm a very logical person and I I really appreciate being logical and I'm so logical and they're so proud of that but then when faced with logic from a woman oh yeah I know that (laughs) so I've learned to sort of mind my p's and q's when it comes to approaching logic with people I know I feel like I've kind of suppressed that in myself but Mm -hmm. as I continue to unmask and step into my more authentic self I don't really care to do that anymore that is very good and interesting I think I never learned to suppress that part of myself. And it's been a problem in my relationships with men, for sure. (laughs) I think it becomes a problem when a man thinks you're smarter than them. Yeah. And it's really sad because a lot of us are smarter than them. Yeah. It's a shame. (laughs) Too bad for them. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, We can just hang out with each other and our cats and our dogs. Yes. So again, I basically went through the Wikipedia page and (laughs) it is a really extensive page and just kind of grouped things together based on stuff that happened. And the big one to, to start us off with is that I was very literally, and I'm, and I'm speaking about Allie and her followers as kind of a group here. Um, So by the followers, which is an extension of Allie, (laughs) I was very literally called a murderer and told there was blood on my hands and that someone died because of me. And I was also told that what I teach on my platform gets people killed, quote unquote, literally. This is shifting between literal murder and figuratively dangerous rhetoric. And followers are supposed to react as if I've literally killed someone and they did. But then in other places, people imply or insist that it was never meant literally. So this is called equivocation. 
which is using a term with more than one meaning in a statement without specifying which meaning is intended. And I wrote, there's two kind of sub bullets of equivocation. So there's a thing called a definitional retreat, which is changing the meaning of a word when an objection is raised. And then there's a thing called the Mott and Bailey fallacy, which is conflating two positions with similar properties where one is easier to defend and one is more controversial. So basically where she would like state a more controversial position. So that would be something like you are a murderer, you killed someone. And then I would say, no, like you can't, you know, show me the proof or something. Of course I didn't. And then would back up and say, oh, actually, I just meant that rhetorically your words were harmful. But she kind of plays both definitions, each according to whatever is most useful in the moment, but it's inconsistent. So that is an example of equivocation, basically. I just want to also mention that, so she did this with the term spirituality also, and she shifted the term between meaning like overall spiritual and meaning whitewashed, harmful, appropriative spirituality, just depending on what was convenient. And then the same thing with the word psychosis. So this one, I just, <laughs> this is something I never had a chance to talk about because it just wasn't appropriate to kind of react in the moment, but ugh, the injustice is strong. So <laughs> she had the audacity to plaster, this is spiritual psychosis all over my face, say it in multiple videos, and then later in a private Instagram DM, because she regularly, so she regularly blocks and unblocks me to this day on Instagram to tag me and send me harassing DMs over there, which I have literally never responded to her on Instagram, <laughs> partly because I don't really check my Instagram as often as I'm on TikTok. So for a while, I didn't even realize she was doing that. So there's just this long trail of <laughs> harassing messages in one direction only. So in a DM on Insta after the whole thing went down and the whole point of the thing was she's calling me she's saying I have spiritual psychosis or whatever she writes and I'm quoting have you ever been through psychosis obviously not and you do not get to speak on it in that way you are a cruel and deluded woman and you showed your true colors and right before that she says I will warn everyone about this forever but <laughs> but uh the audacity to spend the entire time acting like I'm harming people because I'm in psychosis. And then she says, have you ever been through psychosis? Obviously not. And you do not get to speak on it in that way. So obviously you can see how that term psychosis is just used according to whatever is convenient for the, for the argument in that moment. And there's no consistency there. So that's equivocation. And there's, <laughs> there's more, but. I mean, it's crazy making. <laughs> yes. I feel kind of lucky in a way that I never really engaged in a back and forth with Allie, really. I kind of avoided a lot of her content. But there, I mean, ugh, there really is no debating with her. So it's kind of interesting. No, you, was, have a, yeah. you have a really unique take because you actually engaged with responses that were really clear and, and thought out. You didn't respond in a triggered way. So it's kind of cool that you have all this nuance to the whole thing with you and her. And it's really cool that you're able to, to point these out so specifically and so accurately. Thank you. I know how it kind of comes off. I know it's a little bit, I'm sure it feels pedantic to people or like it doesn't really matter, but it matters so much to me. And I also know that she was not ever trying to have an intellectual discussion, which was 
disappointing because I think it, in the first engagements we had, I thought maybe yes, because she kind of had a facade of that. Like she kind of had a facade where she's approaching it with scholarship a little bit and referencing books and trying to talk about decolonizing or whitewashing, you know? So I thought maybe, okay, we can have like a nuanced discussion about this. And I was wrong completely. There was never any room for that at all. And I don't even think that in this kind of social TikTok space, it's what is done. So it's like, I almost should not have expected it at all. But in a way, in some ways, I am kind of just naive. I've been very cloistered away in, in university spaces for a long time, kind of with myself and other people in grad school and other professor types in little college towns. I don't know that I was wrong to expect that because I think that's the most exciting kind of a discussion mm -hmm. to have is where we can really get somewhere. And I feel like the topic was important and I was eager to have a discussion. I was, you know, I wasn't trying to ever, especially not at the beginning, I was not trying to attack any anybody's platform or even kind of call her out in any way. I was mostly just trying to have an, an engagement of ideas because I was really interested in mm -hmm. how out. So I know, I know that the the way that I come off about that is a little bit like obsessive or pedantic or I don't know. It would be so cool to me to have a discussion with somebody who could sit there and be like, well, look, you committed this fallacy or like you or not even just, you know, formally about fallacies or whatever. And actually most of the ones I'm mentioning, by the way, are informal fallacies, but that would be such a cool conversation to have. You know, I wouldn't be afraid of having it and finding out that I was wrong. <laughs> but it frustrates me that people don't want to even hear the logic when it's, you know, there's a re it's systematic. So you really can just lay foundations that you can say, you can point to and you can say, well, tell me within this system why it's wrong. Then I would believe you. But no, nobody wants to engage at that level. And I get it. It's maybe just not the space, you know, maybe that's part of the lesson I had to learn there. It's not for that. But then it's like, okay, academia is not for that either, because they don't want to listen to me either. <laughs> they don't care what I'm saying, because it's too, like, so the dissertation thing, part of the frustration of it is that I'm trying to talk about music as energy. And I'm trying to say, look, you can, first of all, we've been mathematizing it way too much. So I should be able to talk about it in these more subjective terms. And that shouldn't induce so much anxiety in the discipline because it's afraid of dissolving if we do that, because it's all artificial, constructed math, stupid nonsense that we do to music all the time and distance ourselves from it. So mm -hmm. I basically just tried to say that and nobody wants to hear it. Everybody's like, what do you mean energy? You have to talk way more explicitly and trace all these super pedantic connections that don't matter like if I just say music is energy that's pretty intuitive I think that's intuitively a thing it makes sense to me mm -hmm. <laughs> and I struggle to I struggle to talk to that audience and then on TikTok I found a couple people that I think could hear but I still just haven't found my audience I think and I'm not um I don't know I'm still finding where I fit but I I don't know but I think that there's something that's really uh, building a strong foundation of what you think can actually lead you to places productively. So, mm -hmm. and I think this is such an important time for it. Like, it's so important for us to, us to figure out like what it, like philosophy in this time is fascinating because it can't be that nothing matters. That's like the most important thing that I could ever have anything to say about. 
can't be that nothing matters. Something has to matter. So let's like talk about, and I think a lot of people approach that in an emotional way. And that is great. And I think you can get there. I think you can get to truth intuitively in a way that I really struggle with because I struggle with that side of the balance. But I think, you know, you can, a lot of these people out here think that they have it energetically right. And yet mm-hmm. they're completely lacking discernment because they're also missing that side of the balance. And I think there's got to be some way to hit it in it and be healthy. But I struggle to, but I, to me, that's the most important thing that you could ever talk about or you could ever think about. Mm-hmm. So, okay. When it comes to your experience of false equivocation, how how does one combat that in an argument with someone? You mean if someone uses false equivocation against you in an argument? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you counter that? I mean, I think just to to point out that there are two separate meanings and pin down which meaning is being used at any given time. You know, mm-hmm. are we talking about spirituality overall or are we talking about whitewashed harmful toxic appropriative spirituality because to conflate those two things is to group people who are for example indigenous practitioners in with toxic whitewashed harmful spirituality no so to to define the difference of which term you're using at any given time or which or you know insist that your opponent clarify mm-hmm. get specific mean. yeah that's that's the way to counter it, I think. Mm. I think specific to Allie, the logical fallacy that I encountered the most in mm. my interactions with her. I mean, I can't even really call it interactions. She was just kind of bashing me online. Um, are ad hominem attacks. And that's a type of logical fallacy okay. where you're attacking the person. Mm-hmm. making the argument rather than actually addressing the argument itself. And the whole point of that is to discredit the person instead of approaching the actual argument and the content of what they're saying. And it never really addresses the validity of what either person is saying. It kind of shifts the focus to just kind of tearing that person down, that person being me yes um and that happened the entire time I don't think there was any other type of logical fallacy that I was really experiencing with her maybe a couple others but this is the one that she hit me with the most very big example my book so people were very early on split into different sides. There were people on my side, people on Allie's side really early on. And one of the main things people were saying to me, how could you turn on Allie? She promoted your book. She promoted your book. How dare you? And I said, well, she never read my book. And that was a fact. And there were TikTok videos pointing to her, to her saying, like holding my book up and saying, I haven't read it. I never really got around to reading it, but I'm promoting it. Da, da, da. And she had said to me in conversation when we were friends that she never got around to reading my book, but she would go ahead and order it. Unasked. I never asked her to read it. I never asked her to promote it, but I would hope that as my friend, she would have read it. And so when I made it very clear that she had said she had never got around to reading my book Mm -hmm. people went straight to her to ask her about that and I don't think she ever denied not reading it she went straight to her book has no depth anyway her book was copied 
like attacking my integrity, saying that my book was copied and pasted, mm-hmm. um, saying that my book was plagiarized and it had no depth. And I just copied this book and that book and I copied her ideas and not ever really, really addressing why didn't you ever read your friend's book? Why were you promoting a book you'd never read? So the argument became about how terrible I am at writing books anyway. <laughs> I think that's a pretty um, accurate example of that. Yeah, the ad hominem fallacies were all over. <laughs> and I mean, because even thinking about poisoning the well is one ad hominem. And that is just where you try to make the other person look defamed, which is basically what was happening 100% of the time. <laughs> the only question is, who was she directing it at at any given time? Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. entire the thing whole time, I think that was her strongest everybody. one was ad hominem attacks. Yeah. Um, and tone policing is another ad hominem attack, by the way. The la- there's some sort of, I want to find it. There's, I think, one that encompasses, maybe I didn't write it down. Oh, it's <laughs> it's listed in there under appeals to emotion as poo-poo, <laughs> stating... <laughs> stating that an opponent's argument is unworthy of consideration and that's exactly what it was and there was a lot that was the other kind other than uh ad hominem attacks appeal to emotion was very common those include appeal to fear appeal to flattery pity Mm -hmm. ridicule spite uh judgmental language poo-poo and then style over substance which is embellishing an argument with compelling language exploiting a bias toward the aesthetic qualities of an argument Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow compelling language that girl died wow yeah yeah style over substance <laughs> you know i think that really speaks to the whole style over substance thing I, that definitely speaks to what ali was doing to me specifically and i think what really stung for her and i, I keep referencing it as a narcissistic injury it's because she knew the public, she knew her platform saw me in a very specific light. They saw me maybe in the same way she did as someone who didn't really get in the mud, didn't really get into drama, didn't really have any beef with anyone, which is why I feel like I was tokenizable for her because I gave her, I felt like I was sort of like the angel on her shoulder you know, whenever she did fly off the rails, I would kind of be the voice of reason sometimes when I felt like I could be. Um, And so she was very determined to try to smear me as much as possible as someone that was not good, which attacking my character in all these ways when she didn't have a good argument based in fact, based in logic, was something that was like really easy for her to do. And attacking someone's character and making their integrity questionable and all of that I think was her way of maybe relying on maybe thinking that likability and popularity somehow determines culpability like if she can get people not to like me then maybe people would believe that I was more guilty of the things that she was claiming and people really hop on that bandwagon like, oh, if I don't like you, that must mean you're more likely to be to be guilty of something. But I think even if I really dislike someone, they can still be innocent of a lot of things. Like, I think both things can be true. 
but we're dealing with someone that can't operate from a place of logic. They're highly triggered. They're a really high conflict personality. They really believe that if people like you less, they will blame you more for things. Does that seem true? Yeah, well, and I'm sorry to be kind of, I feel like I'm becoming like an annoying lexicon of logical fallacies, but (laughs) there's one called the association fallacy, which I think she was using. I noted that toward the beginning, she made this video where she said something like, there are grounded spiritual creators who are like on my side or something or who are close to me. I think she was talking about you. And I think, um, I think first yeah, I, was, I was a grounded spiritual creator until she didn't like me anymore. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's why I think, I think her definition almost maybe even just in her own head was somebody counts as a grounded spiritual creator. If they're on my team, you know, and I think that she probably wanted to position you to say, see, look, Roxy was a grounded spiritual creator. So therefore I get, um, it's called honor by association arguing that you share it you're the same so that's kind of insidious and then she again she used it against me in that video she was saying that because I'm not aligned with her that means I'm not a grounded spiritual creator which I called Mm -hmm. out in my original video because that's bullshit that's not how that works Uh, and did you notice I mean of course you did in her last video on Alex starts a new cult bitch when her two big accounts went down uh the video was directed at me but she was like you finally got what you wanted you and your spiritual baddies and attraction doesn't work and your toxic manifestation doesn't work and like suddenly I was a law of attraction baddie that's never been my thing (sighs) I mean it's kind of another example of going back to the equivocation fallacy because it's kind of like there's you the (laughs) there's like you talking about manifestation means that it's that you're one of those girlies versus you talking about manifestation in a decolonized way means you're a grounded spiritual creator which is really just up to whether you're aligned with Allie which is not logical (laughs) Mm -hmm, exactly oh I could talk about this all day (laughs) so does the false equivocation is that the same as false dichotomy because so many of them are so close like they're very the the differences are like very slight yeah a lot of them make more sense in practice than when they're trying to explain them on the page mm-hmm. okay yeah so false dichotomy is a fallacy where there's actually a spectrum of options but instead it's misrepresented as an either or choice or like a polarized opposition which is actually kind of how all of categorization works (laughs) I think like all of society is a false dichotomy as a whole other thought but um but equivocation is just using a single term to mean multiple things but kind of implicitly flipping around the meaning depending on what is useful Mm -hmm. okay not sure how to state that better but yeah they're definitely two different things but (laughs) but they but yeah a lot of them are very nitpicky and easier to understand in practice I was even thinking about I wrote I did this whole write-up about no true Scotsman fallacy which I kind of might be best saved toward the end because it's a whole it's like an advanced (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but it actually I had this conversation with one of the people 
um, shenanigans <laughs> who uh, she was initially one of the apology door people and then ended up randomly blocking both of us for seemingly no reason. But anyway, so we actually had gotten into it like back in August when I initially got into it with Allie. That was one of the offshoot conversations I had. And she accused me of no mm-hmm. Scotsman. And so there's this whole nuanced thing where it's like in my brain, I'm like, I want to work out like how this goes because I don't, I think she was doing no true Scotsman at me, but like, it's this very, like, this is very niche thing where I feel like I will explain it. And then you won't no, not you, but like you, anybody, the, the broader you will probably be like, I have no idea if you're right or not. <laughs> mm. So, but anyway, that's probably best saved toward the end. I have other more clear-cut examples. Are you tired of feeling unsafe online? Do you want to learn how to protect yourself from cyberbullying, doxing, and other forms of online harassment? Then look no further than Doxed the Podcast. Visit the website doxthepodcast.com to sign up for the Doxed free ebook full of helpful tips and resources for online safety. Plus, when you sign up, you'll receive the weekly newsletter with the latest updates on upcoming content. There are many ways to connect with Doxed, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Discord. Have a story to share or feedback to give? Use the contact form on the site to reach out or leave a voice message to be featured on the show. And for exclusive content, subscribe to the Doxed Supercast to gain access to the private podcast feed with member-only exclusives. Take control of your online safety and join the Doxed community today. So, okay, just to be clear for people that are listening, and maybe just to be clear for me, because maybe people understand that this understand this better than I do. So false equivalency is when someone use uses one thing to apply to two different things as it suits them in the moment. And a false yeah. dichotomy it's, you know, it's is when like it's usually two possible meanings of the same term. Uh a clear yeah, one thing to mean two different things yeah. depending on what they need in the moment or how it suits them yeah. in the moment. So are we talking spirituality overall or are we talking whitewashed harmful spirituality? Right. And then a false dichotomy is when someone is presenting limited options when there's a lot of different possibilities. Yeah. Dichotomy usually implies two, but yeah, limit. Yeah, exactly. So you could say either you're, uh, either you agree with Ali or you're a harmful spiritual creator. That's a, that's a false dichotomy because there's something in the middle where you don't agree with Ali, but also you're not a harmful spiritual creator. Mm. So it's kind of a tactic to sort of manipulate you into a corner yeah, it puts you in a box and makes you think you should only have one of two choices like that. And that really takes you out of the possibility of having like a really good nuanced discussion, like oversimplifying an mm. argument in that way takes away you know, it takes away the possibility of coming to a, a good understanding and learning something through that process yeah. of conversation and debate versus just arguing and Oh, I really hate that. <laughs> okay, so that's something that I've experienced a lot in arguments. Yeah. Like either this or that, either good or bad. And then you get wrapped up in the whole good person, bad person binary, which also sucks. Yeah, I mean, I think binaries in general, should we should just not do those. 
because, and that's really, it's all kind of trapped in language. All mm -hmm. of the way that we think is kind of like a bunch of on-off switches, like binary is a, is a whole way of coding computers to do things. And uh, I think a lot of it is artificial framework imposed by society. And then really underneath of that as some sort of, you know, whatever experiential organism we are underneath of all language and society there's no such thing as there's no binaries we need we don't even you know we don't need gender we don't need race but we do in the sense of society is that's what we're working through right now um but that's all like constructed artificial and ultimately limits your thinking that's why i talk about liminal spaces a lot in my um a lot of my teachings <laughs> teachings um, not that I had some huge following or anything. I think I mostly was just doing a couple fun educational posts and music. And that's why I kind of had people. It's not like I was like, it's not like people, I was like training people to think like me. I think mostly people disagreed with me on my channel, frankly. But um, I talked a lot and I, and I think a lot about liminal spaces, which are spaces in between the binaries and spaces that are kind of, uh, in, in between anything, any two states of being where uh, ritual is kind of like a journey between two different states of being in the liminal space is whatever is in between when you're kind of neither and both. Mm -hmm. To me, that's, that is a site of extreme power. And a lot of the reason for that is because it's, it's, it's exactly what it is. It's limiting to think in terms of the binary. Uh, I could go on and on, but I talk about liminality like a lot because I think that whole false dichotomy thing extends really into, you know, we were talking about this in the other episode too, about um, being gaslit. And you were saying, you know, I felt like I was gaslit a lot of times throughout my life and, and you were talking about your family, but I would even propose uh, extending that to all of culture. It gaslights you. You know, mm -hmm. all culture gaslights mm -hmm. all of us, but like, it's all a whole thing to kind of keep you down and mm -hmm. uh, in a different, less extensive or what, or maybe not less extensive, but less one-to-one um, -one way as like a romantic partner in an intimate relationship or whatever that is. But mm -hmm. uh, you're inundated with that kind of thing. And same thing with the kind of false dichotomies, you know, that false binary. That's kind of where I sit with the, with the non-binariness <laughs> of my understanding of myself. And, you know, a lot of these considerations kind of go into where I want to be or where I, where I think about things from, because I think there's some level where it's, uh, it matters. It's everyday important. Practically, you have to deal with race. You have to deal with gender. You are mm -hmm. from a position, but then underneath that, none of that is a thing. You just are. Mm. I have another question for you. This is just going to be you teaching me about logical fallacies. Oh, How about that? Good. Um, <laughs> so when it comes to ad hominem attack versus straw man, mm -hmm. they seem really, really similar to me. Hmm. Can you define straw man and then maybe also define the, the differences between those two? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good question. So straw man fallacy is misrepresenting an opponent's argument by broadening or narrowing the scope of a, a premise or refuting a weaker version of the argument. So usually a straw man, you think of it, the visual is 
like a scarecrow, like a guy made of straw. And if I, if I don't want to beat up a real human man, cause that's too much to do. I have to actually fight someone that fights back. Instead, I can set up a scarecrow man and I can punch him to the ground instead. And then he doesn't even fight back, but it might look from a distance like, oh, I got him. I got the real man. And I was in a fight and I won. Uh, so that's the visual. A straw man fallacy is basically when instead of actually fighting the argument of your opponent, you fight a weaker nonsense version that's really easy to knock down. So in this alley case, it was you're saying people create their own abuse. You're saying that people decided to be in slavery. You're saying children invited their own. No, of course I'm not saying that. Of course I'm not saying that. If I was saying that, then yeah, like <laughs> that's not good. I I would I would also be mad if somebody was saying that. That's not the same as what I I'm saying. So that's so it's more of a it's more of a distortion of the argument versus ad hominem. That's like a distortion of the person or a deflection onto the person versus addressing the argument deflection onto i mean yeah ad hominem is a definitely a deflection onto the person so it's like trying to make somebody look bad or basically just yeah just attacking who they are trolling them or whatever <laughs> uh about their appearance or something instead of actually dealing with the argument and straw man is not dealing with the argument also not dealing with the person themselves, but dealing with a whole other fake argument that is set up to look like the real argument. Okay. So neither thing is like focusing on the argument. <laughs> neither both thing. All logical fallacies are meant to detract from actually dealing with the argument. <laughs> At the mm -hmm. end of the day, that's what they're all about. Mm. And the straw man thing was definitely happening a lot specifically with you. Again, you were the only one actually going toe to toe with Ali and like pointing shit out yeah. and like staying focused on the facts and not being scared away by the barrage of bullying. It, it's so easy to be silenced through that process. And I feel like it took a while to silence you. Like it was amazing <laughs> to watch. Thank you. I, I appreciate that spin on it because uh, I know how it looked. Uh, and I know a lot of people got mad at me for many reasons for kind of stirring up shit by going toe to toe. And it was just um, who I am. <laughs> well, just the framing of it as you stirring something up by simply responding because you were just responding and even in the tiny, the tiniest of ways that I tried to respond, it was immediately shot down. People were, were immediately upset with me and saying, well, basically you deserve your abuse because you're responding. And then even when I tried to move on with my content and talk about the concepts around what was happening, I was still seen as stirring shit up by even trying to do something productive moving on from that situation so i don't think that's fair framing to say you stirred anything up by just responding that's dumb thank you <laughs> feel so gaslit about it <laughs> i mean we're, you're allowed to respond you're allowed to have a voice when you're being abused like i don't understand how people can it's like the worst kind of victim blaming to it say you're pretty. stirring things, you're getting in the mud because you're responding to someone abusing you. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, but you know, the other thing is, I'm so goddamn 
headstrong, I think in some ways. And I, I really, I was, there was definitely moments where I was not speaking out about things and probably would have if other, if circumstances had been different and I would have had more to say, but in a way I really did just continue to go at that in the whole initial thing. I did it right up until I knew that I had what I needed for my own, for like my own closure in a way. And I made that video and it was really, I was, I was hoping other people would care and watch it, but it was like mostly for my own closure. And I totally did that for myself, which I wouldn't have been able to do if I hadn't called out every time <laughs> that somebody was doing something. It was like my way of guarding myself to be like, nope, that's a straw man argument. Or even with some of the followers at, at certain points, I was like, nope, you're just, you're being abusive. And they were so mad about that. But too bad, you guys, you were being abusive. <laughs> there were straw men arguments happening. So I said that a million times um, because it was happening a million times. And then people were like, why are you saying this ad nauseum? This is annoying, but you know, too bad. That made me feel great. And then I made, you know, not great. I don't know. Like it also wore me the hell down. Like, like, yeah, there've been so many ups and downs in this. And I, and it's hard to even remember, like each day feels like a million years, to be honest. And thinking back to that time, I have to check myself because I really got worn down right at the end. But the reason I even let myself get that worn down and maybe I do need to find a better balance. Just maybe I'm a flawed person. Um, but the reason I let myself get that worn down was because it mattered to me to have the closure of saying, I I captured that. Like I, first of all, said my piece and then I captured it into this video, whatever this is gonna be. I was making it as it was going, but I felt like it was important and then had to have a cap. I found a good stopping point. I put it out there. And then I was quiet for at least a week until other shit went down. But that felt right, you know, and I don't, and I think I don't regret any of that, even though it really, it really did wear me down and change my entire life. I needed that. And I did that for myself because I love myself and I wanted closure and I got it. I'm proud of that video. I don't really, I don't, I don't really care how it translates to anyone else. And I think it must've been, I don't know. I think about how I'm perceived a lot, but I also sometimes don't care. And that was one of those moments. Yeah, I can totally, totally relate to that. It brings me to to this thing when it comes to the audience, the bystanders, the commenters, the platform that needed to be dispersed by taking down the influencer because the platform was equally as toxic as the influencer, I would say. Yeah. One thing I experienced a lot from the onlookers on her platform and on my own platform was the the slippery slope thing like if you respond you're going to cause all this other stuff yeah, to happen to you yeah. and not just from my platform and hers but also a particular person in the friend group kind of also doing the same thing yeah. like if you do this it's going to affect me in this other way so there was a lot of pressure on that little inner circle to stay silent to protect them from things that I think were completely fabricated, but that's a different season, I guess. <laughs> that's a different thing. Where life takes us, my friend. But... Yeah. But the slippery slope thing kind of feels like, I don't know, maybe I'm being dramatic for saying this, but it kind of feels like gaslighting. I mean, yeah. Interesting. 
I'm sure it can be used for gaslighting. I'm trying to think if there's like, a, if there's a substantive difference or if there's differences in different contexts. It's kind of, I mean, it is like catastrophizing. So it's very much trying to control somebody through fear. Yeah, I I remember a few years ago when I first moved to Austin, I moved from Denver to Austin and uh, had downsized I downsized my salon before I moved, before I closed it, and then tried to reopen in downtown Austin. And when I started advertising and officially opened, uh, I had a Google voice number, horrible, racist text messages on my business line, like full on calling me the N word, hard R. Oh my God. Trump 2020, black people are so lost, you effing N word. And I screenshot it and posted it on my Facebook along with the phone number. Like I screenshot the whole thing and put it on there. Mm-hmm. And one of the comments that I got on that post was, you know, you can get in trouble for, for posting their phone number on your page, right? Like if, if, if you don't take down their phone number, you know, they could sue you. They could press charges against you. You could go to jail for that. And I remember thinking, am I being, is this, I'm being, am I being punked right now? Wait, this person sent me this horrible hate message, but I have to be in fear of getting in trouble for, for posting it. Hmm. And maybe there was some validity because now I know, I mean, I guess that's doxing. I'm attached to the phone number. I think they knew better than to put their name in that text message, but I did, I posted the phone number to my Facebook page and I thought, isn't, how do I really need to be worried about getting in trouble? Focus on the wrong thing. Like, I feel like there was a bigger issue, but a couple people are like, yeah, you really need to take that down because it's just, it's so bad to post someone's phone number like that. And in retrospect, like, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want someone to do that to me, but I also like wouldn't send someone a hate message like that. No, yeah. it felt like a slippery slope kind of thing. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I do think, unfortunately, the law... No, I've met people who who equate the law to justice <laughs> when really we've had to modify the law over a long period of time to hopefully catch up to justice eventually or work in the direction of it. Uh, but I think that a lot of people just sort of, I mean, don't realize how often the law ends up punishing people that are not the worst people and allows the people that are really the worst people uh, to skate by because they have power. I do think that, you know, doxing laws are interesting. I've been looking into stories. I've been looking into news stories and it sounds like there are cases where people are punished for trying to find justice in a way that involved doxing. I mean, quite similar to what you just described. And a lot of times also the laws on all of it are very weak and it's very difficult if you don't have your name associated with it. But that's almost a shame because the more nefarious actors who are, you know, trying to hide their trail more are more likely to get away with it because there were even, yeah. uh, you know, situations where people tried to subpoena this information and couldn't get it. But yeah, I mean, I've also seen people, somebody got slighted for a bunch of uh, masks, face masks, and put the information of the person and like their photograph up on some Facebook pages and warned people away from buying from the vendor. And she got she got a suspended jail sentence from it 
uh, I think that was a, a Chinese woman. Um, so there's different, I mean, globally, there's a lot of different stuff going on with the laws, but they almost don't cover enough when it matters in that way. And then sometimes punish the wrong people too. And I don't know what that would, I think that sometimes it reads to me and I'm not a lawyer, but it reads to me like the laws are more likely to go after somebody that's clearly doing it for some sort of malicious intent. Like mm -hmm. if it's clear that you were doing it to try to guide a bunch of followers to attack that person based on their number, or if you did it over a period of time, uh, a sustained period of time where you were trying to harass them, obviously, I think that's different than- Well, I, I mean, I did look into that number first, like went through my contacts, went through my call history. I did all of that. I did a, like a, a people search on it. And there was no name that came up with the number. And then I posted it and got all kinds of backlash. But a friend of mine or a Facebook friend of mine who was like in cybersecurity and stuff was like, it's a Google voice number. And someone was like, obviously being somewhat smart about it to not get caught. Mm. But after that post, it got like 500 comp. It got shared so much. That same number texted me again and made it seem as if they were one of my Facebook friends doing it yeah. because they were able to see the comments and they were like, me and your other friends are laughing at you scrambling right now. Like it was someone who knew me that did that. Wow. Yeah. It was, cool. it was pretty awful. But in the midst of that, like being actually hate crimed, <laughs> I was expected to give a shit about their information. Well, that's a complicated situation, it sounds like, because it's not just someone's number. It was like a disguised number of some kind. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. It would be so cool to have a lawyer on or lawyers and, and kind of talk about these things and see what they had to say, because I don't have an expert opinion, but it's but it's a complicated situation. And I think overall, it's pretty clear that there's a lot that needs to be better about the legislation around all of this entire topic yeah i mean this was a while ago now so i didn't really i didn't know about doxing what it was cyberbullying definitely because i had been cyberbullied before not oh. at this level but thinking back at that situation and people coming at me so hard for posting that screenshot and being like you need to edit out the phone number um it makes me think of like this person did something really vile to me and my response was to post and be like someone help me because this person knows where my business is like they clearly found my business contact information was all in one place so my address my phone number like everything was all there which made me legitimately scared but when I think about what happened with you and the one that should not be named I guess we'll call her Voldemort I don't know <laughs> um, being doxxed <laughs> and Allie putting your real name on her page and your face and pictures of your family on multiple platforms and talking about your school, trying to find your job, but you didn't do anything to her. Like you didn't hate crime her, you know, it's just, I don't know. I feel like there's, I didn't, I don't feel justified to dox anyone and when people were really coming at me for posting the phone number, I did crop it out and repost it. But it's like, where do you draw the line? 
because what happened to you was completely unnecessary and there was malicious intent behind it. She wasn't scared of you. She had no fear of you going to her house and doing anything, but created real fear for you by doxing you. Yeah, I mean, that's very validating to hear because there was a lot of trying to convince me otherwise. But yeah, I don't, I think you're completely right to observe that it was very overwhelming for everything, everyone to be framing it otherwise. I really don't think I did anything besides just kind of, I don't know. I think it's interesting that the whole world wants to always scream at me that it's not okay to just know what I'm talking about when it comes to certain things. Mm -hmm. There was never a threat. You were just arguing with her. You were going back and forth and, and having a debate with her. There was never any threat to her safety. There was no threat to her personhood. There was no threat to her family or her home. So her doxing you was specifically just to be malicious. And my question was, where do you draw the line when seeking justice when it's like not enough for police to step in, I guess? If everything is subjective, it all goes down to judgment, right? I will say there is one quote that I thought of as you were asking that, and I just looked it up and it's from this website. I had been looking around for definitions and kind of legal ways of talking about doxing. And actually this is included, I think I included it in our ebook, (laughs) but it's from this website of a lawyer, David Lindsay, attorney at law. In, an, in a blog article, it's like a 2016 article about doxing. And he says, doxing, which forms from a combination of the words dropping and documents is used to describe the malicious act of collecting private and personal information and releasing it to the public. And he also said the information usually includes private addresses and phone numbers, as well as national identity numbers, such as a person's social security number and other sensitive situation, like uh, in, information like photos and credit reports. So this is a lawyer talking about this. He's an American lawyer. And it sounds to me like malicious intent is a relevant part of how he's talking about it. So again, I would love if we could interview a lawyer at some point, but I do think that it seems like different people have defined doxing as something that's on like harass harassing intent, basically. So I don't know. Well, I mean, really, probably- in the age of social media and fast people search and being able to skip trace people, like any real estate agent in America can pull a list of every phone number, email, and address in a zip code to like send mailers to them. Like there is no private information. Someone on the dark web can find your social security number right now. There's a distinction between private information, which doesn't exist anymore, and personal information. And again, all our personal information is out there too. But I think what what doxing is that I understand is when you take someone's personal information from one area of the internet and put it somewhere else without their consent, because nothing's private anymore. But you should have some say on where your information is. Like if I post a bunch of stuff on Facebook and we know we've talked about this before, Facebook is a very different animal. There's so (laughs) much personal stuff tied to your identity 
on Facebook. It's been around for so long. People's entire lives are on Facebook and it's kind of hard to reel that in now. I would never want my Facebook stuff on TikTok. Like I wouldn't want my TikTok content on Facebook, <laughs> like you know, and to move anything that I put there onto any other platform, that is doxing. Yeah, well, I think Facebook is, unfortunately, it's very conceptually different from TikTok, but legally seems not to be, um, depending on the settings, though. So if something is friends only on Facebook, it is, it's a, it's kind of owned by the platform is my understanding, but I think, I don't, I, I don't know legally, but I think that it must have to do with crossing boundaries. And it makes me think of when Ali posted the video that I had set to friends only, which was on the same platform, but it was limited supposedly to a set group of people that I chose. And of course that's, you know, it is public, but it's a restricted setting. I was listening to the CEO of TikTok talking to the government the other week and he was talking about how they determine things like if an account is lying about their age or something, they'll mostly determine that from public videos that they have set. So I'm I'm presuming that means not friends only videos, that there's some kind of difference, right? Maybe not. Mm. But that means to me that there's there's a boundary set of I'm I'm limiting access of this information to this set number of people. And so for on Facebook, for example, if you have all your settings to be private and only your friends can see your Facebook, but then somebody outside of your friends starts posting that publicly, I think that's a different situation, but it might not be legally because I think some of this stuff isn't well enough defined yet. Um, people seem to even minimize the problem to the extent that there still needs to be some pretty major pushes for legislation. Like it hasn't caught up at all to what's going on, but I think just morally, to me, doxing would be crossing boundaries of who you intend to have that information. So I think you could argue that it would extend to cross-platform sharing. But the really serious stuff, I think, is when you take something that, for example, I mean, and a really, really clear example is posting like a social security number. But I don't even think that really, I don't think that really happened in this case. Mm -mm. But I think, you know, when people are going by other names, for example... And especially if you don't have some separate profile on Facebook or if it's not public, I think it's totally inappropriate to share people's real names. Yeah, I definitely wasn't going by my name on TikTok and Allie definitely changed that for me. Mm. Yeah, Ugh. and she would do it in such a ghastly, such a shitty way. She would just be like, oh, Roxy, I mean, R, oh, we don't want to dox R. <laughs> what like, are you talking ugh. about? <laughs> It's just so, oh, it's just such a violation. It's such it's a violation. Such a violation. That's, it. That's the word for it. Thank you for listening. Find additional content at doxtthepodcast.com.